right, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Future Ear Radio Podcast. I'm very excited for today's chat with Dr. Ali Vega. Ali, thanks so much for being here. Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me. I mean, what a huge honor to be invited to be on the podcast. I feel super fancy. <laughs> um, so um, I am an audiologist, first and foremost, but I am an entrepreneur by accident. <laughs> and um, hey, so I'm a private practice owner. I now have three clinics in Washington State. My first clinic opened 12 years ago in Olympia, Washington. And I opened a satellite office for a couple of years, actually five years, learned a lot of lessons, made a lot of mistakes, closed that office, um, had a little satellite office in an ENT office for a few years, ended up closing that office. And then this year, well, in 2022, I was like, okay, I'm ready. I, I survived COVID. I made it through a pandemic. Um, industry's booming, so much opportunity. And I was like, okay, I think it's time. And I swear to you, it's time. It's like, I cannot keep up with the demand that's happening right now. Okay. That, well, we're going to get into all this. This is really interesting. Um, to rewind a little bit, let's go back to your start. How did you end up in audiology? So I grew up in North Idaho. I grew up in Moscow, Idaho. Okay. And, um, you know, my parents worked at the university there. I just desperately needed to get out of town. And I thought that I was going to be a high school counselor. That was like my dream. I wanted to help high school students find their way in life. I was feeling not lost necessarily myself, but just knew that there were so many things I wanted to do in the world. And I, um, I loved my high school counselor because she was really helping me sort of figure out how to line up the rest of my life. I was like, I want to do that for other people. But then I went to school. So I went to school at Western Washington University in Bellingham, Washington and loved going to school there. I was in all these psychology classes and there was like 400 people in all of my lecture classes. And I started looking around going, dang, how are we all going to get jobs? <laughs> you know, I mean, it just like, it seemed like there was a lot of us that all wanted to do the same thing. Yeah. I was starting to rethink my path, but I knew I wanted to help people. Um, I liked medicine, but I for sure was never going to get my doctorate. Like that was a hard no. Mm-hmm. My dad had a PhD and I just thought that's not really the way that I want to go. So anyways, my family, not my parents because they were professors, but right, the rest of my family was in the nursing home business. And my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, they own, all owned nursing homes. So I had um, some weekend jobs, nighttime jobs where I would go work front desk and get to hang out with people. And I could see professionals coming in doing contract services and things. And there was this audiologist that came in to one of the nursing homes and she was working with um, brain injury patients and doing some speech stuff. God, that's kind of cool. You know, she gets to really help these people with these severe problems. She's a specialist, but she doesn't have to like do surgery. And so um, actually Newsweek also had an article at that particular time of the top 10 professions of the decade. And so this was like 1996 probably. And um, it, audiology was number one. So like, <laughs> was it really? slam dunk. Yeah, it was number one. So I took a class in audiology, which was actually communicative disorders, and I fell in love. I was hooked. Like, I loved the science. I loved the art. I loved the ability to help people, um, especially people who had like a very specific problem and like learning how the, the whole hearing system has to, like all these little tiny pieces have to work perfectly for you to hear well. And yeah. if one thing goes wrong, it's like, oh, 
this is this is the issue or you know whatever but then there was also all these resolutions that were available like all these tools to help fix that problem and with every other audiologist story you know we were put into mostly speech classes and we got like one or two audiology classes and those were like the ones that i waited to get every day it's like oh i got audiology coming up at two o'clock or you know whatever but i had to put up with speech for a while and what I didn't like about speech was that it just took so long to see progress in patients. And I really loved the satisfaction of helping and being able to not only diagnose the problem, but then saying, do you know how it helped you? I know how to make your life better. Yeah. And um, that was what really got me with audiology was being able to help people with quick results. That's And yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, and it's almost like an adrenaline rush, you know, when you're like, these people like I've had this problem for 20 years and nobody knows how to help me. I'm like, I know how to help you. I have the answer. <laughs> um, so it just is really, was really fun. And, and I fell in love with it. And then of course, you know, then now I need to get a doctorate degree. And it just, it didn't even matter. It was like summer camp. It was not the doctorate that I thought was going to be so terrible to get. I just wanted to keep going to more school, more school. And uh, so I graduated from Western with a bachelor's degree in um it was actually speech and hearing sciences i think is what it was called and um took a year off to to work in a clinic in an audiology clinic because i wasn't really sure about graduate school yet and it was still the time where there was a master's degree so i got a job working with chris Gorders at the hearing speech and deafness center in seattle and she Bless that woman. She took me under her wing and she made me her audiology assistant before that was a thing. I was like, I swear to God, I was one of the first audiology assistants. She was pulling me into hearing aid fittings and she was teaching me how to retube ear molds. And she had me coming into pediatric appointments and being her assist with little kids. I mean, I got to do cool stuff. Yeah. Um, it was just, it was so much fun all the time. So then I um, wanted to go to graduate school and that's when the AUD was just being released. Mm-hmm. Well, Night, I would say on the, on the West Coast, really. But it was sort of like, you know, you could still get a master's or you could get a doctorate. That one surrounding it at master's, you know. And so I looked at big schools. I, I looked at Gallaudet. I looked at Towson. And I went out east. Oh, my God. I was such a West Coast girl. Like, I'm small town. I'm going to get eaten alive out here. <laughs> so I was a little bit disappointed, but... um I applied to San Jose State. They had an AUD program at the time, and I was really the only one on the West Coast, and I got waitlisted. So I was like, well, I'll just try again next year. And then Utah State called me, and they said, we got your name from San Jose State waitlist. And they um, they offered me they offered me a floor rate, actually. Oh they were like, gosh. if you take a chance on us, we'll take a chance on you. Because that was, were you like in the first uh, AZ co- cohort of their program? I was in the inaugural. Super class. interesting. When, when was that, like 2001 or something? One. Okay. One. Yep. In fact, um, I think my third day of school was 9-11. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that will really anchor that period of time for you then. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I was in a new, so I moved down to Logan, Utah and was going to school. And there was, I think it was like 20 of us that started. And by the time we graduated... We were three. Wow, really? Because it was a, they, our first year was a master's program, and then we morphed into a, an AUD program. And Utah State was developing their curriculum as we're taking classes. And you know, some people just figured out this isn't for us. And sometimes professors were like, "Hey, this is really not your right path." And yeah. um, 
So, you know, in a class of three, I won all sorts of awards. I have like top researcher, top clinician. <laughs> a class of curry. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, okay, that's really interesting. So go on. So so what so, were uh, uh, yeah, at? So, yeah, so I I studied at Utah State. Um, I had an excellent experience there. Highly recommend that program. And then I knew I wanted to come back from, to the Northwest. And... I wanted to go back to Bellingham, Seattle area. It was really hard to find a job at that point in time. I ended up getting a residency at an ENT office in Olympia, Washington, and worked there. Um, did my residence, did my residency fourth year rotation, and they hired me on. And I stayed with them for about seven years, and I was doing really, really well. I mean, I was selling a lot of hearing aids. I was seeing really complicated patients. I was collaborating with the ENTs, but really at the end of the day, they saw me as the girl who did hearing tests in the back. Yeah. Let me ask you really quick before you keep going. Um, what was that like in that era of the ENT audiologist relationship? It sounds like you're kind of going to get into this, but yeah, because it's, I think this is kind of what's interesting about audiology is it is actually, it's pretty nascent in terms of the AUD program, the doctoral level degree. Um, and so it's like you were one of the first people that came out as like the new newly branded doctoral level audiologist. Were they previously working with audiologists in a different capacity? Like were things changing? What was that whole dynamic like ENT to audiologists back then, at least in your experience? Yeah, from my experience. So, I mean, I was the first AUD audiologist they'd ever worked with. Yeah. And really, there, I mean, in the Seattle area, there were not a lot of AUDs in this was, so this was 2004. And, uh, you know, they had, they had a preconceived relationship with audiologists. You come in, you do hearing tests, you sell hearing aids, and you basically keep your ideas to yourself. And as long as I did that, we got along pretty well, but that wasn't really my training. Yeah. And two, that's not really my personality. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it went well. I was for seven years. I, I learned I learned how to play the game, but I was always pushing the envelope. I'm like, yeah. hey, what do you guys think about tinnitus treatment? They're like, no. <laughs> okay, so what do you guys think about auditory processing? It doesn't exist. Okay, so, you know, it was yeah. like there was all these things, and I kept trying to push the envelope. One day, I wore my white coat, and one of, my, one of the ENTs who I'm super close with, we got along really, really well. He laughed at me in my white coat. He goes, you're trying to look like me. Wow. I was like, oh, okay. So there's a whole lot of that. There was a lot of that. They liked me. They respected me. They thought I was good. But I was not a doctor yeah. in their eyes at all. Yeah. And so as I was there, I mean, I learned a lot. I mean, I would never, I never regret my experience there because we learned so much especially for this phase of my career, I'm constantly reflecting back to um, just how it made me feel and what I want to do different for my own employees, how my, my own relationships are. But, you know, I am the doctor. And I tell my audiologist, and I'm like, you are the doctor. We are the doctors. Um, that's really empowering, but it wasn't that way back then. Yeah. It, um, I was pretty intimidated by surgeons and um, had, to just, had to just work through that. So I, I think that audiologists now have a much better situation because it's changed a lot. But back then, I was definitely the girl who did hearing tests in the back. Okay, so that's and that's and that's yeah, and that's ultimately why I ended up 
leading. So anyway, so I was there about, for about seven years. I was doing great. Having, I was building the business. In fact, I made more my first year there than I did when I left because I had a great bonus structure and I was killing it. Yeah. And then the more money I made, they're like, okay, we're going to take away that. We're going to take away that. And then I was on straight salary by the time I left. It was the least yeah. amount of money I'd ever made there because <laughs> they figured out that I was going to make a lot of money if I was given the opportunity. You just kept raising. Yeah. It was like you were already capturing all the growth initially. Um, so yeah. Okay. This is really interesting. So, <laughs> so what did you do when you left it, uh, after seven years of being there? So, um, I actually went to a Starkey conference cause I was spitting on Starkey products at the time and I was approached by them to open a private practice. And I literally, that's why I say I'm an entrepreneur back. So I was like, what? Yeah. No, not me. No, you got the wrong girl. And, um, they were like, no, we, we see something in you that we think you could be really successful in private practice. And we've got this private practice program called the Ascent program. And it's relatively new. I think they had like maybe six clinics or something at the time. They were all on the East Coast. We think that you're a good fit for the program. We'd like to interview you and see. And why don't you think about us? I went home and I said, what about it? I was like, dang, yeah, that, that can be a really good opportunity for me. But I knew nothing about business. I mean, I literally had one business class that was mediocre. <laughs> and um, I knew no, I didn't I didn't yeah. to do anything, and I didn't have any money, and I didn't I didn't know the first thing about running a business, and so the ascent program made a lot of sense for me because they that was all built in, mm -hmm. so they had all those business skills. So I and it, essentially the way it was set up is that I was an employee of the business the first year, and then I became the owner, um, and then there was a payout program, but. Um, so anyway, so I signed up with them and I opened my own private practice in 2011. And I remember days where it was just me and even with a receptionist. I was answering the phone, seeing a patient when I, when my patient would check in, I put the phone on night or, you know, so yeah, like, oh, do not disturb. <laughs> and then I'd go back and do a hearing test and try to sell some hearing aids and then leave. And then I'd go and check the voicemail. I mean, it was, it was rough, but I loved it. I was having fun. And um, over time, I learned a lot about the business. I actually bought out uh, like years. I think I was in my fifth year, fifth or sixth year. And I ended up buying out from Starkey out of the program just because I simply outgrew it. I kind of learned learned how to do my marketing. I was learning how to do that. And I, I hired people to do my books. Like I didn't need them anymore. It was a great program. It helped me get my feet wet. Um, but then I just took off. I hit the ground running. It's um, so the last conversation I just had on the podcast, I, I interviewed uh, a young female audiologist, Rachel McGann Favor, and um, that episode I'm, I haven't released yet, but it's going to be titled "Entrepreneurism and in, in Audiology" because the whole time we talked about becoming an entrepreneur, and I, I you know, what we talked about was like this idea that um, it's it's kind of an odd situation because you're. Uh, the labor pool is doctors, you know, it's like yeah. people that are pre-positioned predispositioned for like that line of work. But then, you know, you have this like entrepreneurial side of the business that if you want to really have full autonomy and, and own your own practice and all that, you have to like have all of that wherewithal as well. So I'm curious, like, did this come naturally to you? Was this really challenging? Like, what was that period like? It sounds like this was a great program for you to help usher along, you know, and get you, um, help to give you skills and training and all that. But 
what 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 do you remember about that period in terms of how much of this did it just feel like it came natural to you? It came pretty naturally to me. I mean, it it surprises me how natural it has felt. The parts that I didn't do well, what I learned early on was hire hire people to help you do the things that you can't do. And I trying to do my own payroll for a while. I was really bad at that. So I just decided, okay, let's budget for that. Um, I'm, what I'm really good at is my marketing and um, getting involved in my community and connecting with people. And so I still keep those things to myself, but I hire out all like all the, the legal stuff, the billing. Oh my God, we tried to do our own billing for a while. That was a disaster. Um, I, I know that I'm capable mm-hmm. of anything. But when I really look at what I'm good at and what I enjoy, that's where I'm trying to spend my focus and that would be the, I would say my best recommendation to anybody who's thinking about should they do it or not is figure out what you're good or not yeah. and spend your energy there because um, it, it it did come naturally except for some of those technical things and it is worth every penny to pay somebody else to do it. But the program was great because it gave me the opportunity to see like, can I do that? And then there was a safety net. <laughs> There was the safety of people going, no, no, you're not good at that. Let's, uh, let's help you out. What would, um, so you said that you really like marketing and stuff like that. Like what comes to mind with some of the things that, uh, or even the community outreach that you've done either back then or even today, like what are the kinds of things that you really like in, in those areas? Well, I always, I always say that I, I've been hustling. I'm just a hustler. <laughs> but hustling. I've been hustling in Olympia, Washington, but I, I've always been, so I got involved. So really early on, I got involved in a lot of networking groups and, um, started talking about my business. So I was like, there was some group called BNI, it's a business networking international or something. And it was kind of cheesy, but it really helped me understand how to talk about my business and get other people to be excited about my business the way I am. So I started joining some of these groups, all these little networking groups, and I'm spending a lot of my time, it's I would schedule one day a week that I wasn't seeing patients at all. And I was just going to all these networking groups every single week and talking about my business and telling people why I love it and how exciting it is and all the things that can happen. And people were fascinated. I mean, audiology is so obscure, really, in healthcare totally. that people are just like, whoa, how have we never known about this? And like, I know, right? Like, it's so cool. <laughs> so exuding my own passion for what I do was getting other people excited. And then they were telling their friends, I also did radio and I'm, and I took a break from radio for a while because it is pretty expensive, but I'm back to radio now and I do my own ads. That's, and it's some, I do, I do my own ads and I love it. And the radio station loves it. And I have great relationships with like all the, the people who work at the radio station and because they're audio people anyways, they're super excited about it. Um, so, but I feel like that's it. When, when patients hear my voice on the radio, yeah, they get, they feel like they get to know me. They're not hearing this actor. They're not hearing somebody who works at the radio station. But they're, And I actually had a woman years ago came in with her husband for an appointment. She said, as soon as I heard your voice on the radio, I knew you were our doctor. I knew wow. you were the person. And because she, she's like, I could tell that you care and you love what you do. And I knew you were the person we had to see. And people still, like my kids thought I was famous because they would hear my commercials <laughs> on the radio. And I'm like, yeah, well, I paid for that, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> and you don't need to tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> but people still, I mean, they're like, oh my God, Dr. Vega, I hear you on the radio all the time. I'm like, yes, it's me. Um, I see like radio is, is a great way, but I volunteer a lot in the community. At first it was like doing hearing screenings and things like that. But honestly, I feel like just 
going and doing anything in the community and I'm not trying to sell, I'm not trying to push my business, but I'm representing myself and I represent well. And people, I met a guy the other day and I was wearing my, my logo shirt and he goes, hey, I know you. I heard you on the radio and I, my sister came and saw you and it was like he had all these connections just because I was out wearing my logo gear. And I don't That's know awesome. I was doing something in the community, but I serve on the board and I'm on the board at the Washington Center for Performing Arts. They have an assisted lis- listening. Um, they have an infrared system. And yeah, and so I go in and I consult with them and I help them. I help educate their volunteers about using it and troubleshooting it and you know, things like that, like that don't take a lot of expertise or time, but I'm their like designated audiologist that they can call. Just things like that, where I'm just being seen. We go to a lot of auctions. (laughs) We do a lot of things, but just being seen in the community and being a part of it. People want to do business with people they like. Yeah. With uh, the radio ads, when, like, how did you even get into that? Did you come up and just say, I think this would be an effective way to get to my customer? Like, attract new customers or is there a story behind it? I think actually I was approached. I think, I think I got a cold call, honestly. And my first thought was, um, my people can't hear. <laughs> so that's kind of a stupid way to advertise. But at honestly, if you think about it, my target audience is women age 25 to 60 because they are the decision makers yep. of the family. I'm not speaking to my patient. I am speaking to the decision makers of that family, the loved the, one. the daughter, the wife, a loved one, somebody who's like, you need that. I may, oh, he needs that. Or my kid needs that. My dad needs that. You know, um, I need that. The, women are the decision makers of families and they're listening to the radio. That's interesting though. Do you get, um, even today, like are most of the meetings scheduled by the wife, the daughter, is that pretty common or is it yeah. like, that's already taken place and now my wife's said I should call you and schedule an appointment. I do hear that a lot. <laughs> I hear that a lot of like my wife made me come today or um or people call in and say I'm making an appointment for my family member. It's it's pretty common. We I mean most of our business is doctor referrals. Yeah. But um because we do a lot of insurance, but I would say that we hear that often that my my wife made me come today. <laughs> How did you build inroads with the with the physicians that are sending you referrals? Was it all sort of part of this community outreach and all that, or did you have any distinct, you know, um, plans of of approaching them? You know, what's funny is that I this it's all by mistake. I'm telling you, it's just like it just happens, and I don't know how. I can't pinpoint, but I know that I have worked really hard at some things that have never panned out. And then other things just fall in my lap and I'm, I have no idea why, but so this is sort of interesting and stick with me. It's not too much of a tangent, but so I got, so I opened my practice in 2011. I had a one-year-old and a four-year-old at the time, two little boys. I got divorced pretty quickly when I opened my practice. Um, my ex-husband wasn't too happy about my, my new my new clinic and all the attention that was going towards that and our relationship suffered because of it. Um, so I ended up being a single mom with a brand new clinic. I have no idea what I'm doing in either, in either room of my life. And <laughs> so I ended up buying, we sold our house that we had together and ended up buying a house right by my clinic because there was a school right there and I had to like shrink my geographic 
day down that yeah. it's like my kids needed something and I was at the office and I had to make sure it could all work. So I moved to this neighborhood right by my office, right by my kids' school. And I was outside and there was, it was like one of those cul-de-sac neighborhoods and there's kids playing all the time, like 24 seven. I don't know. Kids are outside for all the time. And so I was outside with my kids and this, this woman walked up to me. I'm new in the neighborhood. She said, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm an audiologist. She goes, oh, that's funny. My husband's an ENT. And I said, oh, that is kind of funny. Yeah, what are the odds? Yeah. And he works at the hospital that's just right down the street. I'm like, oh, okay. So a couple of days later, we meet. And he's, you know, he's a surgeon, so he's not real chatty. Um, so <laughs> I don't even really get to know him all that well. And then like a few weeks later, maybe a month or two later, he approaches me outside on the cul-de-sac. And he said, hey, um, our audiologist just quit. Do you think that you'd want to be a contract audiologist for the hospital and like come into my office? Like, I don't know a day or two a week and do some hearing tests. And if you ever identify people who need hearing aids, like you could sell them, you could take them back to your private practice and sell them hearing aids, but just run some pre and post audios for me. And I said, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, sure. Uh, sign me up. <laughs> I will do that. Yes. When would you like me to move in? Wow. Um, and that's, so that's why I'm serendipitous stuff right there. <laughs> like yeah. there's no amount of taking cookies to an office <laughs> that makes that happen. I know. So, I mean, that was just, and it was just knowing people and just being out and being seen and being open, open to opportunity. Um, there was you gotta, a, you gotta, you gotta put yourself out there in order to even do. get the chance that the random chance you're going to increase your odds of that random thing that you could never foresee happening. It, unless Absolutely. you, you know what I mean? You got to just like be out there. It's like taking at bats. I could, there could have been a million reasons why I could have said no. Yeah. At, in that conversation. I could have said no for a million reasons, but I just said, yes, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to make this happen. We're going to do this. So I did it. I set up, I went in, he had a booth and equipment and everything. And so I'd go in there one day a week and um, I, there was a schedule and I was just running audios all day long. Boom, 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 boom. And then I'm writing down people's names. So I could take information with me, taking copies of audios, writing up people's names, following up, and then taking them to then to my private practice to do hearing aid fittings. And I was then now in because he's a he was a um, employee of the hospital i am in the hospital referral system oh, man, and, and there was like 1500 doctors so any doctor that types in hearing loss into that system my name pops up dr vega and i just started getting the doctor referrals from that hospital system that's super interesting so does that kind of when your practice started to take off so you said yeah. you started it in 2011 roughly how long was it open until this point happened so I was open probably a year and a half. Gotcha. So it was like 2013, mm -hmm. I think, is when I started doing that. And I would say that that's when a whole new trajectory took off. Cool. And I was, my business was increasing dramatically. That's awesome. Okay. So then you have that, what what was that phase like? Um, <laughs> this is really fun, just chronicling kind of your- Oh, no, I know it's, I should write a book, it's crazy. <laughs> Um, so that, that's when I tried to do my own billing. <laughs> so okay. This was a really fun chapter. <laughs> okay. Um, is for the record, do not recommend one star review. <laughs> do not do your own billing, especially if your practice is growing and you're billing a lot of insurance. I mean, if you're not doing a lot of insurance, you might be able to figure it out, but it's an insane monster. So we were trying to do that. I was also trying to break my teeth on how to actually manage employees because now I had to have people covering the private practice. Um, I was bringing back all this information for billing. 
Um, I wasn't in the practice every day. And so when I wasn't there, they were kind of doing their own thing. Um, so it was, it was rough, but I was busy, but I was like moving around because I'm still doing networking. I'm still taking a day to do networking. I'm in this satellite office a couple days a week and I'm in my private practice a couple days a week. Um, so that, that was a really busy time, but I was learning a lot about those physician relationships and learning how you foster those. So I didn't really have to work hard to get the referral because that was just happening organically. But what I, I learned is that I had to send back test results quickly and I had to speak their language. And that's where I'd reflect back on my ENT days. I knew I had, like when I write a professional report, I click into, okay, what do they actually want to know? They don't want me to write a freaking essay. They want me to be very direct to the point. Here's what I found. Here's what I think it is. Here's what I think should happen. Here are the next steps. Shunt you in like that. So. <laughs> but that is another skill. If we are going to be all operating under the, the sort of assumption that one of the best ways to uh, acquire more patients are these, you know, physician referrals, then the quid pro quo then is like, you got to be able, like you said, to like speak their language, like the reports that you write back. So that's a really interesting aspect. I feel like that to your point, working in the ENT's office, you sort of knew how these uh, surgeons typically operate, right? So yeah. was that, um, I mean, were you able to like pretty quickly, um, you know, accommodate for that and, and that need or were you getting overwhelmed? No, well, I, I mean, I, of course, first started because I had, I had a practice management software system and this was also like 2013. It wasn't really conducive to like templating. Like now I use counselor there's a shout out for counselor i use them and they and i can um template all these reports so i can you know take some time in my thought process template all these things out and then have them ready to go when i've got a certain referral source just plug and play plug it in but at the beginning I had a word document I had a working word document and it was like a two-page thing because i wanted to be thorough and i wanted them to know how much i knew and i wanted them to be really impressed with all of my knowledge and the thing was, not only was it time consuming for me, but they probably were just like scan, 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 scan to the end. They're like looking for, you know, what to do next. Meanwhile, they're like, what is this garbage she's sending? Why, why, why is she using all these really big words? Why can't she just cut to the chase, you know? Yeah. So I had to get over myself a little bit and realize that if I just spoke their language and I was just super, um, if, if I presented myself at their same level, and didn't try to act, I wasn't trying to be better. I was trying to be fancy. I was trying to use all these words. They're like, what the hell does that mean? Uh, <laughs> that that it, we were going to be, it was going to be more of a partnership. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened. I am the doctor. They are the doctor. We are on the same level playing field. Mm -hmm. And by presenting the information to them just the way they want it, they were like, okay, I like, I like this. She makes it easy for me. She makes yeah. it easy for my patients. I, and then by sending the reports really quickly, but again, because I'm getting referrals from doctors who don't even actually know who I am. Totally. Their, their medical assistants, their referral coordinators, whomever are getting these reports by fax are seeing my logo come in constantly, constantly. Even if a patient is self-referred because their insurance company doesn't require it, I still, I always, oh, and who's your primary care doctor? And I'm sending a report to the primary care doctor because I want them seeing my logo and for a stinking day. Because then when they're like, where do we send people for hearing tests? I don't know, this complete hearing imbalance or it used to be a sent audiology. They keep sending us reports. They do hearing tests. We should send it there. Um, Smart. And, and just cultivating that just 
um, to, I was top of mind. I wanted to be top of mind all the time. And so I think that was really a critical component to maintaining those referrals because they couldn't forget about me. I was in their face every day. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. So, um, so then moving along, so you got your practice. It sounds like you just like really started to take off quickly. Um, then you had this buyout. Um, so I'm assuming this was probably 2015 ish or something around. Yeah. Yeah. It was probably around 2015, 2016. So then I decide, all right, I'm not growing this ascent program. Ascent was great for what it was, but it really, it's, it's hearing aid sales. And that is, that's the formula of that program is how many hearing aids you're selling. And every time you buy equipment, it's like, well, how many hearing aids do I have to sell to justify that? Everything's equated in hearing aid sales. I was doing a lot of diagnostics because I had all these physician referrals coming through. And so not everything was a hearing aid sale, because sometimes it was, you know, a pre-surgery evaluation, or it was a tinnitus management, or it was just an annual hearing test, just monitoring for somebody who's on um, a chemotherapy or something. Totally. Right? So hearing aids were becoming less of a priority to me. I mean, they still obviously were a big part of what I did, but I wasn't really equating everything in hearing aid sales. So I started to already feel like, I need to diversify because what if, you know, then it was like, oh my God, OTC is coming, like this big scary thing, right? Like we didn't know when it was going to come, but we knew it was coming at some point. And I'm thinking, I'm going to diversify because what if hearing aids are just like over the counter and Come on, on the internet and right, mm -hmm. whatever. And I know how to do a lot. So let's start doing it. So then I decided I'm going to add balance testing. Okay, so I, yeah, this is like 2016, I think. So so at the time you were Ascent Audiology, was it just Ascent Audiology? Yeah. Okay. So Ascent Audiology and Hearing, yeah. Okay. And um, so I decided that I'm going to do balance, and I went to an ADA conference, and I did one of Richard Gann's AIB um, seminars, like a pre-conference seminar thing, a day thing, and I was so excited, I mean, Dr. Gans really has this dialed in. Yeah. So um, I got super excited. Okay, now I can diversify and like legitimize my business. I'm not just the girl who does hearing tests, the girl who sells hearing aids, but now I'm like a real audiologist, right? So I go through that whole class and I get really excited and I do some interviews with Dr. Gans. He's like, yeah, let's do it. And then he tells me how much it's going to cost. I'm like, um, that's not really in my budget. <laughs> and he was like, no, you got to see, like, you're going to make all this money. And it'll be, and I just, I couldn't, to me, I had a lot of sticker shot. So then I did, and I made another mistake, but um, I learned a lesson. I was like, how about I just buy the equipment myself? Let's do it. Like, how hard could that be? School. Well, I had to remember that when I went to school, um, they were ENGs and um, you put water in people's ears and then you got this big long tape of their nystagmus so you had to get a ruler out and you had to like measure their eye movement and do a bunch of math and it was not it was not great so i thought oh i'll just buy some equipment and i'll just do it well i did that and um i hated it number one number two i couldn't figure out how to make a business out of it and so then i bought all this equipment and i wasn't using it i didn't know how to get patients i didn't know how to market it i didn't know how to do anything and that was a big waste of money so a couple of years later, I went back to Dr. Dan's <laughs> and said, my tail between my legs. Okay. So I bought this equipment and uh, now I need your help. And he was like, well, that equipment is awful, but that's fine. <laughs> you know, so he, he's done some really great coaching with me of like, okay, it's what you have. We'll make, we'll make it work. Um, so I joined AIB in like late 2019, I think. 
yeah, I think it was 2018, 19, something like that. And okay. um, helped me really get my balance program going. And so now we do a lot of vestibular. We've got, now we've got the two rotary chairs and um, we've got all this really great equipment. Um, I'm not doing it myself, which is another great thing. I hired an audiologist to do it. So um, that's been like the next phase of my businesses. So I, I, I break away from Ascent. I'm trying to now diversify my services. I want to be really a full scope audiology practice. Yep. And first thing I did was add balance. And then, um, and joined AIB and I've been really, really happy, really successful with that program. And it's not cheap, but I'll tell you what, it is great to have people who are really good at what they do mentoring you. Mm-hmm. And again, like getting a bookkeeper and accountant and a lawyer and a, and a billing person working with AIB has been in that same pocket for me because I don't really love vestibular, so I need their evidence. I need them to help me. So you mentioned, you know, okay, because of these relationships you have with the physicians, you're getting a lot of diagnostic referrals and stuff like that. So now like, you know, kind of once you had properly, I guess is the right way to put it, um, been onboarded or had a balance offering that you felt comfortable standing beside and like you kind of had an idea of how you were going to monetize it and all that. What was that period like in terms of when you started to see that part of your business kind of come online? Was it, this is catering to your existing patient base or was this like opening the door to an entirely new set of patients? Just kind of like give a, give me a sense of what that, what that like unlocked for your business by becoming a balance center as well. Yeah. So um, when I bought the equipment, tried to do it myself, I was, it was really this, um, the ENT at the hospital who lived in my neighborhood. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do balance. He's like, great. Cause I don't want to do balance. Like he didn't want Disney patients at all. So he was happy to send them to me, but honestly he was sending me like three a month. Okay. Cause he, cause he didn't want Disney patients either. So they really weren't coming to him. He was my main referral source and I couldn't really find anybody in town who had Disney patients. So when I started working with Dr. Gans, they really helped me understand how to market this and how to get those. And what we're finding is we're getting them from our existing database more than anything. Interesting. And radio. Radio. That's one of my top um, commercials is talking about dizziness. Because you know what? Everybody has dizziness. I know. Or everybody knows somebody who has dizziness, right? And we get on the radio, we talk about dizziness, and people are out of control calling us or talking to it. I mean, the people, the radio station want to talk to us. It's everybody wants to talk about dizziness. It's right up there with earwax removal. Everybody wants to talk about earwax. (laughs) Let's talk about dizziness. That's interesting. Uh, And now what I'm finding now is that, so we've been doing this for a few years. And um, so we're always asking when we do a case history with a new patient, you know, we're always asking those vestibular questions. And if they're like, oh yeah, I do have balance problems. We're like, Okay, and then after today, we're going to get you set up for vestibular evaluation. Like we just make that okay. That's next steps because you've already identified these concerns, and we think that we need to evaluate that. And so we're, that's built in now to our initial um, evaluation, but we schedule it for a different day. But then also, I'm finding out these hearing aid patients that I've had for decades. Well, yeah, they'll, they'll come in and they they come in for a hearing aid follow up or something. You're like. Hey, I see that you guys do balance now. You, have I ever told you that I'm dizzy? Like, oh gosh, we never talked about that. No, I think I should have a balance test. Like, yeah, you should. So, I mean, it's really, there's so many people in my existing database that are vestibular evaluation candidates. Which I think has to be even more of a testament to why 
it's just really interesting that like hearing you talk through your thought process and your decision making around why you even wanted to get into vestibular sort of like this feeling that you kind of need to diversify your services. But I feel like, you know, when you're making that decision, if you do own a practice or you're considering maybe building a practice, you know, and, and you're thinking through what kinds of services you're going to offer, I feel like that's super reassuring to know that, look, you're not going to have to like reinvent the wheel, if you will, with go after all kinds of a totally different kind of patient base or something like that. A lot of these patients are actually just your existing patients. That's yeah. that's actually comforting. I would think that you've you've got, quote unquote, low hanging fruit right there. Totally. Absolutely. And it brings in a lot of times a younger demographic of people, which is great too. So it, um, just by advertising the dizziness, now we've, we've opened ourselves up because now it's not just for old people, right? Like you can mm-hmm. be any age, be dizzy. Totally. But yeah, it was, it was not difficult to find dizzy patients. So I should thank you for even taking the time to do this because I know you're in the heart of expanding from one clinic to three right now, um, which I feel like is kind of the next chapter. Um, so do you want to talk about what this process has been like and what what's the backstory there? How did this even come to be, um, you know, for this this chapter? Sure. Yeah. Well, I, you know, like I said, I, I had I had two other satellite offices, so I ended up closing the office at the hospital. Um, because again, once they realized how well I was doing, they um, wanted to change the financial relationship. <laughs> and I said, I don't actually need this. Funny thing is, I'm still in that hospital system as the referral source for hearing, even though I no longer have a satellite office there. But I'm less than a mile away, so it makes it an easy easy choice. They still have a great relationship with those those ENTs. Um, so they refer to us a lot and we refer to them and it's, it's great. But um, after the pandemic, I'm sure... Almost every audiologist can agree with. It was like people came out of the woodwork. Once masks went on people's faces, all of a sudden a hearing loss that was not a problem is now a serious problem. Totally. Right. And so it was like our business, I didn't even have to try. And our business was like quadrupled. Wow. And um, and so, and I always knew that I did want to try another location just because it, the geographic area of where Olympia is. Um, we're rural, but we're also the state capital and people, there's a lot of these pockets, these rural pockets where people don't have services mm-hmm. and they don't want to come in to Seattle. They, want, they don't want to go into Tacoma. They don't want to come into Olympia. And so I knew that if I took healthcare to them, I would be successful out there. And so I've been kind of looking at some different areas, but um, I was looking at Lacey, Washington, which is a suburb of Olympia. It's only 20 miles away from my other office. But I'll swear to you, people don't go from one to Olympia to Lacey in a day unless they have to. Mm. So um, I picked a spot that was close to the ENT practice that I left in 2011. Um, and there's a new multi-care hospital coming in, but there's a lot of medical. There's a lot of medical right here. And there was no, audi- well, there's there are a couple other audiologists, um, but really it was a pretty untapped market. Mm. So my husband and I knew that we didn't want to rent. We wanted to buy. We found a commercial building in a good location for a good price. And so we just bought it. Like, without really thinking about it, we just bought it. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm starting a clinic in Lacey, Washington. And so we started renovating it. And that was like June of last year. And we're getting that kind of put together. And then a colleague of mine called me and he had a clinic 30 miles south of Olympia in Chehalis, Washington. And he said, I need to retire will you buy my practice for me? And I was like, oh man, I don't know. And he's like, come on, you got to practice. You got all these audiologists working for you. He's like, come on. So I said, okay, I'll do it. So I ended up 
buying his practice in August. I was already working on the second location. So I had like two practices opening at the same time. It was not planned. I wouldn't recommend it. It's a lot. But these are two areas that were untapped and really need help. And so my plan was, okay, so we'll just do like a soft opening. So for the Lisi office, um, things got delayed with construction just for supply chain issues and labor issues and things like that. So we didn't actually open until January, but I, I was like, okay, let's just plan one day a week. I'll do it because I need to make sure that I've got everything set up the way I want before I start plugging in other employees there. And so we opened up just Tuesdays and first Tuesday filled up like overnight. And then the next Tuesday was filled up. And next thing you know, we're three weeks. All of January was booked. Wow. Within, like before, I think before I even saw patient, maybe it was that first week I've seen patients because people were like, oh my God, oh yeah, we want, we want this location open. So then we were like, well, I guess we should open it a second day a week. So we opened up a Thursday. Those are full. And then I was here the other day and patients were just stopping in. We were open for appointments. I was like in a sweatshirt and jeans. I was cleaning. I was unpacking and trying to get moved in. And people are walking in. Hey, can I buy batteries? Hey, can I get filters? Hey, can you clean my hearing aids? I was like, oh, we're not actually open. Oh, I thought this location was open. So um, we now we've just started staffing at full time. And we've got providers coming here three days a week. I think we'll be five days a week by March. Wow. Because with the demand is there. I don't personally like to have schedules booked more than two weeks out. I don't want patients to have to wait more than two weeks. So that's I mean, that's kind of my standard when I'm looking to see when do we add another day? When do we add another provider there? It's, um, it, are we more than two weeks out? And if patients can get it within two weeks, I'm like, it's probably okay. But at this point, we're booked out. So we're going to be open five days. And then the Shahalis location, you know, I bought an existing practice. So we just thought, well, we'll just keep his schedule. He was just going Thursday. So he was just doing one day a week. And those were, say, thanks, filling up, filling up. And the space he was in wasn't really conducive to the way that we practice because we we do so much more and we have more equipment and mm -hmm. things like that. So we ended up moving to a new location. And that's open three days a week now. And we're going to probably be five days a week here pretty soon. I have, to, I have to hire more doctors. That's what has to happen. Good segue. <laughs> I was going to ask you, A, how many people do you employ now? And then maybe we can start talking a little bit about your because that seems like another really big challenge is how do you find talent in what appears to be a bit of a labor shortage? I mean, nationally speaking, but in this industry as well. So how many people do you currently employ? So including myself, we have five audiologists. Five audiologists. And do you have any assistance or anything like that? Yeah. So I have 14 employees total. Um, so... And what we do is we hire front office staff first, and then we promote from within. So during that 90-day probationary period, we're assessing skills, we're checking in with them. What do you like about this job? Because usually nobody's ever heard of audiology. They don't even know what an audiology assistant is. It's hard to hire for that position. Mm -hmm. So we hire front office people who have an interest in medicine or an interest in customer service, patient care. Um, and so we've got three audiology assistants right now. Um, that we've promoted from front desk. and That's awesome. And that's how we do it because you know sometimes we'll get in here and they're like, I really like the billing part of it. I really like the data entry. And so we put them more on like um, assisting our billing company with collecting information or doing AR reports and things like that. And then other people are like, I really like helping patients. So we teach them how to clean and check hearing aids and send them through um, some, some online training to learn how to be an audiology assistant. So it... Um, 
it's a, it's definitely a work in progress, but we're always I'm always hiring because yeah. we're we're growing. So where are you finding new people? Well, audiologists were I'm hiring a lot of new grads, and awesome. um, I like new grads because they're passionate, they're excited, they know all the new stuff. Like I went to school a long time ago, <laughs> so <laughs> what I knew they're outdated. <laughs> they're hip. <laughs> they, they they're up on all the current standards of everything so so they've got that edge to them but they're also open to being trained they, they've just come out of their fourth year rotation and they're they're used to being mentored and learning new ways of doing things and they've learned things that maybe we don't know about and they can bring in some new fresh ideas to our business as well so we've we've done that we've taken fourth years um we haven't had any fourth years stay with us, but we we do continually take students, and then we get students who have just completed. We actually have a pretty good relationship with the Seattle VA, and we're going to get some of their top externs. Awesome. How did you well, form that relationship? One of my audiologists actually works for the VA on the weekends as okay. a contractor, and so she has an in with them. And That's awesome. So we, we get the cream of the crop. Very nice. <laughs> yeah, awesome. It's a nice relationship. Did you have a hard time hiring the five audiologists that you employ? I guess you're kind of near Seattle, which is such a big city that uh, it might be easier for you than maybe someone that's not as close to a big metro like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think when I hire audiologists, the the pull is living in the Pacific Northwest. This is a a very interesting place for for people to live, especially people who've maybe lived in the you know, on the other side of the country, they come to the Pacific Northwest. It's like, oh my gosh, it's so different. And, totally. um, but it's, um, it's hard to find people to come to Olympia. Mm-hmm. So we're an hour oh, south like of Seattle. 30, the place that's 30 miles south. That- and Chehalis. Yeah. I mean, that's a much more rural area. So it's hard to get people to want to come here. Um, and you can't live in Seattle and, and drive down. You just can't. You can live here and then drive to Seattle on the weekends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a really easy thing to do, but the commuting is, I mean, we're, we've got traffic like California's got traffic at this point. So it, commuting's not really an option. So that I would say that's the hardest part is getting people to want to live in this smaller community who maybe are drawn to Seattle. We're not Seattle. Yeah. Okay. That's very interesting. So yeah. what does, um, by the way, this has just been awesome. I've, I've really enjoyed the whole story and it's this has been a great conversation. Um, what does the the future hold for you? Like what, clearly this year, you're very focused on getting these clinics up and running, but we were kind of joking at the beginning before we started recording that you had just recently like gone to your therapist and that you're like asking the question of when is enough enough? Like, do you want to keep expanding? What's, is the motivation here that like, I just can't help myself because this is so fun? Yes. This is so fun. And that's the problem I'm having is that I enjoy doing this so much that I I don't want to stop, but I realize at some point I'm going to have to just say, I'm going to let other people take over from now or, or let them have that opportunity. But I'm an opportunist. So when I see the opportunity and I know that we do it better, I just know that we're bringing the type of audiology to people that is at the top. I just, I want to, I want to keep doing it. So What's on the horizon right now is I do have one more clinic. Um, my husband's a contractor, and so we have purchased property in another community. And he's gonna he's in the permitting process, and he's gonna build a building. and And so we're gonna be out there, and 
So you'll have four clinics. I'll have four clinics. And I think I need to stop. That's I need to stop. And at that point, but then I'm always like, wait, what's another opportunity came up? You know, so I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. But I I need to hire more, more audiologists because right now we're all rotating through all the clinics and, um, we just, we need, there needs to be more of us to go around. We're spread a little thin right now. Yeah. I couldn't. Yeah, that's totally uh, true. There's just only so many audiologists out there. Um, so as we kind of come to the close here, um, I, I, you know, for anybody that might be interested in connecting with you and, um, you know, maybe asking questions about where they would go in terms of how to build a business like you did. I mean, it seems like you've had so much experience and, and you have so much wisdom around um, what to avoid um, what's the best way people can connect with you? Email? Are you on social media? I don't know. Uh, yeah. So email's great. They, um, I have Facebook and Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn, but um, yeah, there's only so many hours in the day. <laughs> so, so, or you can text me, call me. <laughs> I, you know, I get asked a lot for people who are like, um, like this contact I have through AB because I do cochlear implants as well. And she sent me a message through Facebook, I think the other day, and she was like, "Hey, I know somebody who wants to add cochlear implants to their private practice. Would you be willing?" I'm like, "Yeah, for sure. I'm always happy to share um, my my story or to listen to somebody else going. You know, what do you think? Because I've had people do that for me. That's yeah. been one of my success paths. Is that I've had great mentors. I've had people that I can think I can think of like ten off the top of my head right now. People who were ahead of me in this profession." who would listen to me, I'd come to them like, you've got this crazy idea and they're like, maybe not now, or that's not, have you really thought that through, Allie? Um, or people have been like, yes, that's amazing. That's such a great idea. You should totally do that. I'm like, okay. But it, that's that's what it takes, I think, in this audiology profession because we don't have um, a lot of mentoring, I don't think, at this point in time. So you got to kind of go out and find your mentors. you got to find the people you click with. I have found those people really at conferences. Mm-hmm. I have some, I call them my audiology friends, but I have some of my best friends are people I see once a year at a conference. Yeah. Well, and, I'm glad that you said that though, because I've, I've been, um, this has been a reoccurring theme and something I've noticed too, is it, it is a little bit like, uh, I think there's an opportunity for somebody to create like a true mentor program in this industry, because there is a seemingly kind of a gap there. Um, but I think I agree with you that I think one of the best ways for anyone to establish a network and find like-minded people that can, if nothing else, be another sounding board that you can bounce ideas off of, trade shows are an excellent way to do that. Whether it's just go to AAA or ADA, you know, the big ones or your state show. Um, but I, I couldn't agree more with that, that I think that's a great way to, especially as a young person, if you're just getting started out. Um, that's a really efficient way to meet a lot of people at once. Absolutely. It's, and it's a great way to get out of the class. I mean, the classes are one component of it. The CEUs, yeah, we, we all need those. And that, those are really important. But stay after for the networking events. Get involved, you know, volunteer for the organization or join the pack or just go to at least the, the happy hour stuff. Find people that are interested in audiology the same as you, people have similar interests. Um, I've had some very awkward conversations that have turned out to be, you know, really impactful for me. You know, meeting some, you sit down to have breakfast 
and some random person starts talking to you, next thing you know, you've got these connections or you're like, hey, you you know something that I've actually been really needing to learn about. You exchange business cards and it can be a, a game changer for your career. You just never know. You got, again, no. you got to put yourself out there. You got to just yeah. show up and see what happens and be available for opportunities. Say yes. I agree. And you figure uh, out it's like you're it's unavoidable. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be awkward. You're going to have to make small talk with people that you don't know. But I totally agree that just you'll be amazed at how much you have in common with some of these other people. And I think that there is so much truth. You're a testament to it of like just being out there and giving yourself more opportunities for like as random as they might seem things to fall your fall your way um i think it's just super important <clears throat> to establish yourself and in your connections yeah absolutely and we don't need to be competitive there's there's no room for that i don't think cuz there's so many people that need our help and we're only better if we share information with each other and like you know hey i developed this thing and i let me email it to you. Like, I love it when I go to a class and they're like, hey, email me and I'll send you all my notes or you can talk to me. That's that's the best way for us to get better and to and to be really at the top of our game. And on that note, thank you so much for being super transparent today and talking so candidly about uh, your, your story, your business. I loved it. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, this has been a lot of fun. I've had so much fun. I really enjoyed telling you my story. It's a crazy story. So thanks for being interested. It is. I'll, I'm, I'm ready for your, to read your book when you go yeah. publish it. Okay. It's not done yet. So you, you can't write it yet, but you know, it's a work in progress, but, it um, is. but thank you so much. And thanks for everybody who tuned in here to the end. We'll chat with you next time. Cheers.